0: Welcome to another podcast by Fermat's Last Theatre Company. I am Maya Kaler and I'm joined today with Maggie Shank. Hello. And together we'll be exploring some scenes involving two female characters from three of Shakespeare's plays. Of course, on the Elizabethan and Jacobean stages, women were forbidden to act and so these roles were acted by boys in many plays, including the two comedies we will sample today. The boys playing women often adopted a male disguise.
1: What was Shakespeare's attitude toward women? Most people think immediately of the taming of the shrew, and much scholarly ink has been spilled on the question since the playwright's death in 1616, and more recently from the new historicists, feminists, postmodernists, and gender studies scholars. Perhaps all have their insights, but no monopoly on the truth. Shakespeare did live in a patriarchal society, though one ruled by a woman until Elizabeth's death in 1603, and he observed the conventions of his time, while managing to give some of his greatest lines to female characters, especially, perhaps, when two women were alone, as you will hear. A note. We assume some knowledge of
0: the plays, and so these introductions are minimalist at best. If you have not read the plays, get thee to a library. There are also decent film versions of them as well, though often quite cut.
1: In Twelfth Night, or what you will, a pair of twins, Viola and Sebastian, have been separated by a shipwreck off the coast of Illyria, and neither knows if the other survived. Viola decides to disguise herself as a young man in hopes of getting a position as servant to the Count Orsino, of whom she had heard her father speak. Orsino is madly in love with the Countess Olivia, But she is in mourning for the recent death of her brother, and will admit no suit or entreaty of love from any man. Orsino employs Viola, now using the name Cesario, to carry notes to Olivia. In Act 1, Scene 5, we hear their first encounter. Give me my veil. Come, throw it o'er my face. We'll once more hear Orsino's embassy. The Honourable
0: Lady of the House... Which is she? Speak to me, I shall answer for her. Your will? Most radiant, exquisite, and unmatchable beauty. I pray you, tell me if this be the lady of the house, for I never saw her. I would be loath to cast away my speech, for, besides that it is excellently well penned, I have taken great pains to con it. (laughs) Good beauties let me sustain no scorn? I am very comfortable, even to the least sinister usage. Whence came you, sir? I can say little more than I have studied, and that question is out of my part. Good gentle one, give me modest assurance, if you be the lady of the house, that I may proceed in my speech.
1: Are you a comedian?
0: No, my profound heart. And yet, by the very fangs of malice, I swear I am not that I play. Are you the lady of the house?
1: If I do not usurp myself, I am.
0: Most certain, if you are she, you do usurp yourself. For what is yours to bestow is not yours to reserve. But this is from my commission. I will on with my speech in your praise, and then show you the heart of my message. Come
1: to what is important, in I forgive you the praise. Alas, I have taken great pains to study it, and it is poetical. It is the more like to be feigned. I pray you, keep it in. I heard you were saucy at my gates, and allowed your approach rather to wonder at you than to hear you. If you be not mad, be gone. If you have reason, be brief. Tis not that time of moon with me to make one in so skipping a dialogue. Tell me your mind. I am a messenger. Sure you have some hideous matter to deliver, when the courtesy of it is so fearful. Speak your office. It
0: alone concerns your ear. I bring no overture of war, no taxation of homage. I hold the olive in my hand. My words are as full of peace as matter. Yet
1: you began rudely. What are you? What would you? The
0: rudeness that hath appeared in me have I learned from my entertainment. What I am and what I would are as secret as maidenhead. To your ears, divinity. To any others, profanation.
1: Give us the place alone. We will hear this divinity. Now, sir, what is your text? Most sweet lady. A comfortable doctrine, and much may be said of it. Where lies your text? In Orsino's bosom. In his bosom? In what chapter of his bosom? To answer by the method in the first of his heart. Oh, I have read it. It is heresy. Have you no more to say?
0: Good madam, let me see your
1: face. Have you any commission from your lord to negotiate with my face? Now you are out of your text, but we will draw the curtain and show you the picture. Look you, sir, such a one I was this present. It's not well done. Excellently done. If God did all. Tis ingrain, sir, twill endure wind and weather. Tis
0: beauty, truly blent, whose red and white nature's own sweet and cunning hand laid on, Lady, you are the cruelest she alive if you will lead these graces to the grave and leave the world no copy. Oh, sir, I will not
1: be so hard-hearted. I will give out diverse schedules of my beauty. It shall be inventoried and every particle and utensil labelled to my will. As item, two lips in different red. Item, two grey eyes with lids to them. Item, one neck, one chin, and so forth. Were you sent hither to praise me? I see what you are. You are too proud.
0: But if you are the devil, you are fair. My lord and master loves you. Oh, such love could be but recompense, so you were crowned the nonpareil of beauty.
1: How does he love me?
0: With adorations. Fertile tears with groans that thunder love
1: with sighs of fire. Your lord does know my mind. I cannot love him. Yet I suppose him virtuous, know him noble, of great estate, of fresh and stainless youth, in voices well divulged, free, learned, and valiant, and in dimension and the shape of nature a gracious person. But yet I cannot love him. He might have took his answer long ago. If I did love
0: you in my master's flame, with such a suffering, such a deadly life, in your denial I would find no sense, I would not understand it.
1: Why, what would you?
0: Make me a willow cabin at your gate, and call upon my soul within the house, write loyal cantons of contempted love, and sing them loud even in the dead of night. Halloo your name to the reverberate hills and make the babbling gossip of the air cry out. Olivia, oh, you should not rest between the elements of air and earth, but you should pity me.
1: You might do much. What is your parentage?
0: Above my fortunes, yet my state as well. I am a gentleman.
1: Get you to your lord. I cannot love him. Let him send no more. Unless perchance you come to me again to tell me how he takes it. Fare you well. I thank you for your pains. Spend this for me. I am no feed,
0: post lady, keep your purse. My master, not myself, lacks recompense. Love, make his heart of flint that you shall love, and let your fervor like my master's be placed in contempt. Farewell, fair
1: cruelty. What is your parentage? Above my fortunes, yet my state is well. I am a gentleman, I'll be sworn thou art. Thy tongue, thy face, thy limbs, action, and spirit do give thee fivefold blazon. Not too fast, soft, soft. Unless the master were the man. How now, even so quickly may one catch the plague? Methinks I feel this youth's perfections with an invisible and subtle stealth to creep in at mine eyes. Well, let it be. Viola, Cesario, has fallen
0: in love with Orsino, which somewhat complicates matters. In Act 3, Scene 1, we see their next encounter.
1: Let the garden door be shut and leave me to my hearing. Give me your hand, sir. My duty, madam, and most humble service. What is your name? Cesario is your servant's name, fair princess. My servant, sir. 'Twas never merry world since lowly feigning was called compliment. Your servant to the Count Orsino, youth. And he is yours, and his must needs be yours.
0: Your servant's servant is your servant, madam. For him, I think not on
1: him. For his thoughts, would they were blanks rather than filled with me? Madam, I come to whet your gentle thoughts on his behalf. Oh, by your leave, I pray you, I bade you never speak of him again. But would you undertake another suit? I had rather hear you to solicit that than music from the spheres. Dear lady, I— Give me I... leave, I beseech you. I did send, after the last enchantment you did hear— a ring in chase of you. So did I abuse myself, my servant, and, I fear me, you. Under your hard construction must I sit to force that on you in a shameful cunning which you knew none of yours. What might you think? Have you not set mine honour at the stake and baited it with all the unmuzzled thoughts that tyrannous heart can think? To one of your receiving enough is shown. A cypress, not a bosom, hideth my heart. So let me hear you speak.
0: I pity you. That's a degree to love. No, not a grise, for 'tis a vulgar proof that very oft we pity enemies.
1: Why, then, methinks tis time to smile again. O world, how apt the poor are to be proud. If one should be a prey, how much the better to fall before the lion than the wolf. The clock upbraids me with the waste of time. Be not afraid, good youth, I will not have you. And yet, when wit and youth is come to harvest, your wife is like to reap a proper man. There lies your way, due west.
0: Then westward ho! Grace and good disposition attend your ladyship. You'll nothing, madam, to my lord by me. Stay, I
1: prithee. Tell me what thou think'st of me. That you do think you are not what you are. If I think so, I think the same of you. Then think you right. I am not what I am. Would you were as I would have you be. Would it be better, madam, than I am? I wish it might. For now, I am your fool. Oh, what a deal of scorn looks beautiful in the contempt and anger of his lip. A murderous guilt shows not itself more soon than love that would seem hid. Love's night is noon. Cesario, by the roses of the spring... By maidhood, honour, truth, and everything, I love thee so, That mauger all thy pride, Nor wit, nor reason can my passion hide. Do not extort thy reasons from this clause, For that I woo thou therefore hast no cause, But rather reason thus with reason fetter. Love sought is good, but given unsought better. By innocence I swear. And by my
0: youth I have one heart, one bosom, and one truth, and that no woman has. Nor never none shall mistress be of it save I alone. So adieu, good madam, never more will I my master's tears to you deplore. Yet
1: come again, for thou perhaps mayst move that heart which now abhors to like his love.
0: Sebastian has by this time appeared, and great confusion briefly reigns, when they are first seen together. But all is quickly sorted out, and a double marriage, Orsino and Viola, and Sebastian and Olivia, ensues.
1: As You Like It, Act 1, Scene 2, Celia and Rosalind. In As You Like It, Duke Frederick has usurped the throne from his brother, Duke Senior, the rightful ruler, Duke Sr. and his followers take refuge in the forest of Arden. As a favor to his daughter Celia, Frederick has allowed Duke Sr.'s daughter Rosalind, her best friend, to stay at court. In a wrestling contest at the beginning of the play, a young man named Orlando surprises all when he defeats Charles, Duke Frederick's man. Orlando, too, has been cheated of his fortune by his older brother. When Frederick discovers Orlando is the son of an old enemy, he banishes him from court. And Rosalind, too, as he suspects they are in league, when in fact they have just become smitten with each other. Celia decides to plea with Rosalind, and they hit on the idea of disguising themselves as young men, the safer to traverse the wild woods. And Orlando is not well-schooled in the ways of wooing, so Rosalind adopts a female manner and teaches him how to love. Thus, in Shakespeare's time, we would have had a boy playing a woman playing a man playing a woman.
0: I pray thee, Rosalind, sweet my cousin, be merry. Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of, and would you yet I were merrier? Unless you could teach me to forget a banished father, you must not now learn me how to remember any extraordinary pleasure.
1: Herein I see thou lovest me not with the full weight that I love thee. If my uncle, thy banished father, had banished thy uncle, the duke of my father, so thou hadst been still with me, I could have taught my love to take thy father for mine. So wouldst thou, if the truth of thy love to me were so righteously tempered as mine is to thee.
0: Well, I will forget the condition of my estate to rejoice in yours.
1: You know my father hath no child but I, nor none is like to have. And truly, when he dies, thou shalt be his heir. For what he hath taken away from thy father perforce, I will render thee again in affection. By mine honour I will. And when I break that oath, let me turn monster. Therefore, my sweet rose, my dear
0: rose, be merry. From henceforth I will, cuz, and devise sports. Let me see, what think you of falling in
1: love? Mary? I prithee do, to make sport withal. But love no man in good earnest, nor no further in sport neither, than with safety of a pure blush thou mayst in honour come off again. What shall be our sport, then? Let us sit and mock the good housewife fortune from her wheel, that her gifts may henceforth be bestowed equally. I would we could do so,
0: for her benefits are mightily misplaced, and the bountiful blind woman doth most mistake in her gifts to women.
1: Tis true. For those that she makes fair, she scarce makes honest, and those that she makes honest, she makes very ill-favouredly. Nay, now
0: thou goes from fortune's office to nature's, Fortune reigns in gifts of the world, not in the lineaments of nature.
1: No. When nature hath made a fair creature, may she not by fortune fall into the fire? Though nature hath given us wit to flout at fortune, hath not fortune sent in this fool to cut off the argument? Indeed, there is fortune too hard for nature, when fortune makes nature's natural the cutter-off of nature's wit. Act One,
0: Scene Three. Celia and Rosalind.
1: Why, cousin, why, Rosalind, Cupid have mercy, not a word. Not one to throw at a dog. No, thy words are too precious to be cast away upon curse. Throw some of them at me. Come, lame me with reasons. Then there were two
0: cousins laid up, when the one should be lamed with reasons and the other mad without any. But is all this for your father? No, some of it's for my child's father. Oh, how full of briars is this working-day world.
1: They are but burrs, cousin, thrown upon thee in holiday foolery. If we walk not in the trodden paths, our very petticoats will catch them. I could shake them off my coat. These burrs are in my heart. Hem them away.
0: I would try if I could cry hem and have him. Come, come,
1: wrestle with thy affections. Oh, they take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Oh, a good wish upon you. You will try in time, in despite of a fall. But turning these jests out of service, let us talk in good earnest. Is it possible, on such a sudden, you should fall into so strong a liking with old Sir Rowland's youngest son? The duke, my father, loved his father dearly. (laughs) Doth it therefore ensue that you should love his son dearly? By this kind of chase I should hate him, for my father hated his father dearly, yet I hate not Orlando.
0: No, Faith, hate him not, for my sake. Why should I not?
1: Doth he not deserve well?
0: Let me love him for that, and do you love him because I do? Why, whither shall we go? To seek my uncle in the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us, maids as we are, to travel forth so far, Beauty
1: provoketh thieves sooner than gold. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire, and with a kind of umber smirch my face. The like do you. So shall we pass along and never stir assailants.
0: Were it not better, because that I am more than common tall, that I did suit me all points like a man, a gallant curdled axe upon my thigh, a boar spear in my hand and in my heart, lie there what hidden woman's fears there will, We'll have a swashing and a marshal outside, as many other mannish cowards have that do outface it with their semblances.
1: What shall I call thee when thou art a man?
0: I'll have no worse a name than Jove's own page, and therefore look you call me Ganymede.
1: But what will you be called? Something that hath a reference to my state. No longer Celia, but Aliena. But cousin...
0: What if we essayed to steal the clownish fool out of your father's court? Would he be not a comfort to our travel?
1: He'll go along o'er the wide world with me. Leave me alone to woo him. Let's away and get our jewels and our wealth together. Devise the fittest time and safest way to hide us from pursuit that will be made after my flight. Now go we in content to liberty and not to banishment.
0: Act 3, Scene 2 Celia and Rosalind, now in the forest of Arden, find love poems attached to the bushes and trees, all singing the praises of Rosalind. Enter Rosalind with a paper, reading. From the east to western end, no jewel is like Rosalind, her worth being mounted on the wind, though all the world bears Rosalind, All the pictures fairest lined are but black to Rosaline. Let no fair be kept in mind but the fair of Rosaline. Here comes my sister
1: reading. Why should this a desert be? For it is unpeopled? No. Tongues I'll hang on every tree that shall civil sayings show some how brief the life of man runs his erring pilgrimage that the stretching of a span buckles in his sum of age some of violated vows twixt the souls of friend and friend but upon the fairest vows or at every sentence end will i Rosalinda write teaching all that read to know the quintessence of every sprite heaven would in little show Therefore, heaven nature charged that one body should be filled with all graces wide enlarged. Nature presently distilled Helen's cheek, but not her heart, Cleopatra's majesty, Atalanta's better part, sad Lucretia's modesty. Thus Rosalind of many parts by heavenly synod was devised of many faces, eyes, and hearts to have the touches dearest prized. Heaven would that she these gifts should have, and I to live and die her slave.
0: O most gentle pulpiter, what tedious homily of love have you wearied your parishioners withal, and never have cried, Have patience, good people? Didst
1: thou hear these verses? Oh yes,
0: I heard them all, and more too. For some of them had in them more feet than the verses would bear.
1: That's no matter. The feet might bear the verses.
0: Ay, but the feet were lame and could not bear themselves without the verse, and therefore stood lamely in the verse. But didst thou
1: hear without
2: wondering
0: how thy name should be carved and hanged upon these trees? I was seven of the nine days out of the wonder before you came, for look here what I found on a palm tree. I was never so berimed since Pythagoras' time that I was an Irish rat, which I can hardly remember. Trow you, who hath
1: done this? Is it a man? And a chain that you once wore about his neck? Change you colour? I pray thee, who? Oh, Lord, Lord, it is a hard matter for friends to meet, but mountains may be removed with earthquakes and so encounter. Nay, but who is it? Is it possible? Nay,
0: I pray thee now with most petitionary vehemence, tell me who it is. Oh, wonderful,
1: wonderful, and most wonderful, wonderful, and yet again wonderful, and after that, out of all hooping!
0: Good my complexion, dost thou think, though I am comparison like a man, I have a doublet and hose in my disposition? One inch of delay more is a south sea of discovery. I prithee, tell me who it is, quickly, and speak apace. I would thou couldst stammer that thou mightest pour this concealed man out of thy mouth, as wine comes out of a narrow-mouthed bottle, either too much at once or none at all. I prithee, take the cork out of thy mouth, that I may drink thy
1: tidings. So you may put a man in your belly.
0: Is he of God's making? What manner of man? Is his head worth a hat, or his chin worth a beard?
1: Nay, he hath but a little beard.
0: Why, God will send more. If the man will be thankful, let me stay the growth of his beard. If thou delay me not the knowledge of his
1: chin. It is young Orlando, that tripped up the wrestler's heels and your heart, both in an instant. Nay, but the devil take mocking,
0: speak, sad brow and true maid. If
1: faith cause, tis he. Orlando? Orlando.
0: Alas the day! What shall I do with my doublet and hose? What did he when thou sawst him? What said he? How looked he? Wherein went he? What makes him here? Did he ask for me? Where remains he? How parted he with thee? And when shall thou seize him again? Answer me in one word.
1: You must borrow me gargantua's mouth first. It is a word too great for any mouth of this age's size. To say I and no to these particulars is more than to answer in a catechism. But doth
0: he know that I am in this forest and in man's apparel? Look he as fresh as he did the
1: day he wrestled. It is as easy to count atomies as to resolve the propositions of a lover. But... Take a taste of my finding him, and relish it with good observance. I found him, under a tree, like a dropped acorn.
0: It may well be called Jove's tree when it drops forth such fruit.
1: Give me audience, good madam. Proceed. There he lay, stretched along like a wounded knight.
0: Though it be pity to see such a sight, it well becomes the ground. Cry,
1: holler to thy tongue, I prithee, it curvets unseasonably. He was furnished like a hunter.
0: Oh, ominous, he comes to kill my heart. I would sing my song without a burden Thou brings me out of tune. Do you not know that I am a woman when I think I must speak?
1: As with all of Shakespeare's comedies, much confusion is sorted out in very short periods of time. Foes become friends again. Rosalind and Orlando are married. But unlike most of his comedies, Shakespeare gives his heroine the last word, in the form of an epilogue.
0: It is not the fashion to see the lady the epilogue, but it is no more unhandsome than to see the lord the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, 'tis true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine they do use good bushes, and good plays prove the better by the help of good epilogues. What a case I am in, then, that I am neither a good epilogue, nor cannot insinuate with you for the behalf of a good play. I am not furnished like a beggar, therefore to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you. And I'll begin with the women. I charge you, O women, for the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering, none of you hates them, that between you and the women the play may please. If I were a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me, complexions that liked me, and breasts that defied not. And I am sure, as many as have good beards or good faces or sweet breasts will, for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell.
1: Othello the Moor of Venice. In secret, and without her father's knowledge, Desdemona has married Othello, a Moorish officer in the employ of the Venetian Senate. At the opening of the play, the Senate is in a midnight session as news has come that the Turks are threatening the island of Cyprus. The Senate dispatches Othello to command the Venetian defense of the island. The meeting is interrupted by Desdemona's father, who claims the Moor has bewitched his daughter. Othello and Desdemona tell how they fell in love and have just been married. Othello's seemingly trustworthy aide, Iago, is jealous of Othello's power and prestige, and slowly and deftly convinces Othello that Desdemona is unfaithful to him and is having an affair with Cassio, an officer who has received promotion ahead of Iago. We are in Act 4, Scene 3, and Othello, convinced of Desdemona's infidelity, has ordered her to bed and resolved to kill her. Desdemona and her servant Amelia, Iago's wife, discuss men, marriage, and the world's affairs as she prepares to sleep.
0: Act 4, Scene 3 How goes it now? He
1: looks gentler than he did. He says he will return incontinent. He hath commanded me to go to bed, and bade me to dismiss you. Dismiss me? It was his bidding. Therefore, good Amelia, give me my nightly wearing and adieu. We must not now displease him. I would you had never seen him. So would not I. My love doth so approve him that even his stubbornness, his checks, his frowns, prithee, unpin me, have grace and favour in them.
0: I have laid those sheets you bade me on the bed.
1: All's one. Good faith, how foolish our minds. If I do die before thee, prithee, Shroud me in one of those same sheets. Come, come, you talk. My mother had a maid called Barbara. She was in love, and he she loved proved mad and did forsake her. She had a song of willow. An old thing twas, but it expressed her fortune, and she died singing it. That song tonight will not go from my mind. I have much to do but to go hang my head all at one side and sing it like poor Barbara. Prithee, dispatch. Shall I go fetch your nightgown? No, unpin me here. This Lodovico is a proper man. A very handsome man. He speaks well.
0: I know a lady in Venice would have walked barefoot to Palestine for a touch of his nether
2: lip. A poor soul sad sighing by a sick or more tree sing all a green willow her hand on streams ran by her, and murmured her moans. Sing willow, willow, willow. Her salt tears fell from her, and softened the stones. Lay by these. Sing, willow, 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 willow. Sing, willow, 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 willow. Must be my garland for thee. Hide thee; he'll come anon. Let nobody blame him. His scorn I approve. Nay, hey, that's not next. Hark, who is that knocks? It is the wind. I called my love false love, but what said he then? Sing, willow, willow, willow. If I court more women, you'll count with more men. So get thee gone. Good night. Mine eyes do itch, to
1: that bode weeping.
0: Tis neither here nor
1: there. I have heard it said so. Oh, these men, these men! Dost thou, unconscious, think, tell me, Amelia, that there be women to abuse their husbands in such gross kind? There be some such, no question. Wouldst thou do such a deed for all the world? Why, would not you? No, by
0: this heavenly light. Well, nor I neither by this heavenly light. I might do it as well in the dark.
1: Wouldst thou do such a deed for all the world?
0: The world's a huge thing. It's a great price for a small vice. In troth I think thou wouldst not. In troth I think I should. And undo it when I had done. Mary, I would not do such a thing for a joint ring, nor for measures of lawn, No, for gowns, petticoats, nor caps, nor any petty exhibition, but for the whole world. Why, who would not make her husband a cuckold to make him a monarch? I should venture purgatory for it. Beshrew me, if I would do such a wrong for the whole world. Why, the wrong is but a wrong in the world, and having the world for your labor, tis a wrong in your own world. And you might quickly make it right.
1: I do not think there is any such woman.
0: Yes, a dozen and as many to the vantage as would store the world they played for. But I do think it is their husband's fault if wives do fall. Say that they slack their duties, and pour our treasures into foreign laps, or else break out into peevish jealousies, throwing restraint upon us, or say they strike us, or scant our former having in despite. Why, we have galls. And though we have some grace, yet we have some revenge. Let husbands know their wives have sense like them. They see and smell, and have their palates both for sweet and sour, as husbands have. What is it that they do when they change us for others? Is it sport? I think it is. And doth affection breed it? I think it doth. Is frailty that thus errs? It is so too. And have not we affections, desires for sport, and frailty as men have? Then let them use us well, else let them know the ills we do, their
1: ills instruct us so. Good night, good night. Heaven me such uses send, not to pick bad from bad, but by bad mend.
0: Alas. Othello enters the bedchamber and smothers Desdemona, and only then learns that she was faithful, that his mind had been poisoned by Iago, and kills himself with a dagger. The end.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mai and I have been acting in Shakespeare plays since childhood. We were both involved with the young Shakespeare players here in Madison. We grew up playing a lot of male roles for a couple of reasons. First of all, there simply are not enough female roles in Shakespeare's plays for more than two or three women to play. Also, a lot of the roles that are the most interesting and developed characters are male and are more desirable to want to explore and perform. Generally,
0: Shakespeare's women exist to support their husbands, be a sexual object for men or as a kind of prize to be won. When a female character is more multidimensional and more central to the plot of a play, this is usually attained by renouncing their femininity. A lot of the more prominent, plot-central female roles, like Imogen in Cymbeline, Viola in Twelfth Night, and Rosalind in As You Like It, have to dress up as men in order to interact with other men as an equal. In the past, I have played quite a few of Shakespeare's female characters, including both Viola and Olivia from Twelfth Night, both Desdemona and Amelia from Othello, as the hostess in Henry Fourth, Part I, and also played Nerissa in The Merchant of Venice.
1: And I have played just two female characters, Imogen in Cymbeline and Mariah in Twelfth Night. Despite an overarching theme of gender inequality in Shakespeare's plays, um, Shakespeare still wrote some very powerful female roles and scenes. Amelia's speech, which we just heard from a fellow calling out men's double standards relating to sexuality and faithfulness, is a prime example of this.
0: And one female character that I've always wanted to perform is Lady Macbeth from Macbeth, even though she isn't even giving her own name and is only referred to as Macbeth's wife. And despite that, Lady Macbeth is a central character to the plot and never pretends to be somebody else. Not only that, she has dreams, aspirations, and drives that come from her. She even views and uses her husband as a tool to get what she wants, power, and a lasting legacy.
1: I think that the character of Lady Macduff, also from Macbeth, also provides a perspective that we don't always get from Shakespeare's women characters. Um, although she only briefly appears in Macbeth, what she has to say forces the audience to reckon with the human impact of actions taken by the men in power in that play.
0: Well, thank you for listening. We hope this inspires you to take a closer look at some of Shakespeare's female characters and also
1: notice some of their plights and struggles. And thank you to the Madison Arts Commission and for Matt's Theatre for giving us the opportunity to share these scenes with you. Thank you.